As we do jump into this series called Be Prepared, we actually kicked it off last week, kind of a big introduction, and this series is something we are building upon every week. And so sometimes we do things that kind of stand alone, uh, but this one kind of builds every week, and so I do encourage you uh, to go watch or listen uh, to the first message so you can kind of hear why it is we need to be prepared, what does that look like. Um, what does that mean in terms of even our theme verse? I'll give a quick recap, uh, but can't do it fully justice this morning. So you can go to the Church Center app, you can go to our online page, you can go to YouTube, you can, lots of different ways you can hear and listen uh, to previous messages. Um, but as we continue to move forward in a culture that moves further and further and further away from God, um, we have to talk about not just the reasons why, because there's a lot of reasons why, but we have to talk about our, our church's response or our individual response collectively, individually and collectively as Christians um, to this. And one of the reasons we believe it's happening is because of some misunderstanding around some big theological concepts, which is uh, around these two things, evangelism and apologetics. Uh, now, evangelism is, you know, a lot of people immediately sort of think outside my comfort zone, you know, screaming through a bullhorn, sandwich board, hellfire and brimstone, you know, uh, you know, end of the world is coming kind of evangelism. Um, and, and then, you know, even if you just think of it, sometimes you're thinking, well, it's just that guy at work, that girl at work, that person that's weird um, and is always kind of, you know, Jesus juking everything, you know, and so they just sort of throw them into everything. And so, listen, that's, that's not what we're talking about. We, we, we try to simplify that a little bit more for you. But apologetics is similar. Um, apologetics is not, by the way, apologizing for your faith or apologizing for God. Um, apologetics is also one of those things that people kind of think is like for scholars or, you know, uh, professors or people who are really, really, you know, students of, of the Bible and know a whole lot more than you know. Um, that's not where that word kind of originates from. doesn't mean that there's not people who do know a great deal that do about apologetics, but it's not where that actually comes from. So as a church, we try to simplify the actual heart of the message of what we believe God has called every believer to do in terms of evangelism and apologetics, is that's to share the good news, to share the gospel, to share Jesus with, with, with the, the top five and the people in our circles. And, 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 and then apologetics is really coming from where sometimes we see that word, um, is to respond with the reason why. It's to have a, a, an argument, to make, a, make defense or to make an argument for the reason why you believe something. Okay, so it's so a little bit more than just a worldview, but it's an actual apologetic of why we believe what we believe. And so last week we shared with you our theme verse where those things come from. This is from 1 Peter 3.15. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. This is where we've given our life to Christ, we've given our life to Jesus, and we serve him as Lord of our life. That's part of why we share the good news, because he is our Lord. And then we're always going to be prepared, right, intentionally, we're going to be prepared to give an answer. That's that kind of Greek apologia, Latin, that comes out in that word there that means to make a defense, to, to have an answer for, to have a reason for anyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope that you have. And that's probably, again, one of the things that people misunderstand is, you know, we sometimes think we have to convince people why they should have hope in Jesus. Like that it's our job to sort of debate and argue and convince them. And, and Peter says, but I want you to be prepared to answer for the hope that you have, right? To answer for the hope that resides in you as to why you have made Christ the Lord of your life. And so we decided to focus on a few things that we believe 
we will come back to every single time we talk about our reason why is Jesus, the resurrected Savior, is the only way. And we're going to really kind of narrow in on that theme today. That there is a way to be made right with God, a way to heaven, a way to eternal life. And there is an only way, which is through Jesus. There's also a, an acceptance of mercy and grace. We'll look at that in the next couple weeks. Um, understanding this unmerited kind of grace and undeserved uh, mercy of, 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 that we receive through, through Jesus. That's a big one as well. And, and the third one is a, a, an unexplainable personal transformation, meaning that you can, you can have a lot of logic and explain things and maybe even have some historical things and you know, scriptural things to kind of back up your argument. But there should also be kind of an unexplainable, undeniable personal transformation that's happening in you that is part of your reason why, part of your, your story, all right? Um, one quick note, we're going to just do this, and I'll, I'll probably do this every week and to some degree, but I want to kind of quickly under, know that from, from our church's perspective, we're starting with the idea of apologetics, and apologetics uh, is always going to begin and end with Scripture, Okay, it's going to begin and end with Scripture. Now, don't hear this as circular logic. Hear this from, you know, I'm going to explain what I mean by that. But it's going to begin and end with the Word of God. Begin and end with Scripture. All right? So here's what we see. Paul tells uh, Timothy this, in, in, in particular talking about the Scripture. He says, I want you to know that all Scripture is inspired by God. And if you don't know that, like this is brand new information to you again, we'll kind of give you some resources and we can point you to some things. But uh, here's Paul telling Timothy, especially when he was talking about the Jewish scripture, he said, and, and the gospels probably at that point, he said, look, all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Keep going. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what's right. And then God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Matter of fact, the NIV says it this way, and I just love sometimes the way translations sometimes break things up and make it a little bit easier. I love the four words used in the NIV that describe what this means. This scripture that is God-breathed, again, inspired by God, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, in being made right with God. That this, that this is our source of absolute truth, that it's objective, it's not subjective, it's not based on our feelings, that there's, there's this actual God speaks through his word and that we can trust it, that it can be our absolute truth. And, and, and it's useful, right? It's actually, it's the thing that teaches us and corrects us and rebukes us and, and encourages us and prepares us and trains us. So sometimes apologetics will start with script, literal scripture because there is a consensus of what scripture is. So, for example, Paul, very early on in his ministry, he would, when he was speaking to Jewish people, he would use the Old Testament and try to help them understand who Jesus actually was. Like, who Jesus is who he said he was, and he would show and use Scripture to do that. So, here's a great example in Acts 17. If you go read those first four verses, you'll see all these words used. That he reasoned with them from the Scriptures... Right? He explained and proved, that explaining and proving it, who Jesus was. That, was. that was apologetics, early kind of Paul apologetics, um, for, you know, in terms of what he was doing. He was using Scripture because the Jewish people trusted the Old Testament, trusted their Scripture, and he was using that to help build the bridges and the foundation for his apologetic argument, his, his, his reason why. 
Now, that isn't always the case. Sometimes there's other avenues by which we're going to engage in conversation for apologetics. So sometimes that's going to be uh, sociological views. Sometimes it's going to be ideological understandings and human reasoning. Sometimes that's going to be, in our culture, sometimes that's political. Sometimes that's um, ideological. Right? It's some, it it kind of it depends on how you get there. We might use some of those things to enter into a conversation, but even then, it's going to end with scripture in terms of our reason why okay so for example you see again you see paul great example this became the apologists became pretty popular in the second and the third century in terms of their writings and their defense of scripture and their defense of biblical truths but paul even in uh, if you read in acts paul went to uh, i think it was athens and he helped uh, help them understand the altar that they made to an unknown god and he used their Uh, poets. He used their philosophers as a way to enter into the conversation so that he could then, you know, share with them the reason, the good news, and the reason why Christ was Lord of his life, why he was there. Now, the reason I say it begins and ends with Scripture is because one of the things that sometimes I think Christians struggle with is that if there isn't a consensus on how you view Scripture, that then you can't use scripture to have a conversation with somebody and to share your reason why you believe what you believe, right? Like there's this idea that, well, they don't believe the Bible is the word of God. They think it's just a bunch of stuff written by white men and all sorts of other things, which goes to tell you they had no idea of history. Anyway, uh, you know, it, it was just written by these guys and it's, you know, it's just opinions and, and it's like, okay, well, I understand that, but, 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 but the, there doesn't need to be consensus for you to trust that the Word of God is the Word of God, that it is God-breathed, that it is inspired by the Word of God. And it has to begin with you for that reason, that there really isn't anything for you to stand on if you don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that it is the active, living, breathing Word of God for you, for us. If it's not, then it's just a bunch of you know, good ideas and opinions and, and maybe, maybe a little bit of wisdom from the centuries. I don't know. Like, that's all it is. If it's, but if it's the Word of God, see, then everything outside of this or contrary to this is wrong. And everything outside of this and contrary to this that we want to believe, we're accountable for. Does that make sense? So when I say it begins and ends with Scripture, I'm not just talking about the conversations that you have or the arguments or the defense you're making. I'm talking about the fact that you have to settle this for yourself. Like, you have to settle what the Bible is and what it is not for you. Because if you do not believe it is the Word of God, if you, do, like if, if you feel like you constantly have to make excuses and justify what you believe in light of even what the Word of God says then I promise you, you do not have a hope worth sharing with anyone. Okay? Your hope is in you. You do not have a hope worth sharing with anyone. Now, you can share Jesus, because even Paul said, hey, man, if Jesus is preached, it doesn't even matter how messed up people are, Jesus is preached. But I want you to understand that if you don't settle this, that's a problem, because you don't have that hope. You don't have the same hope I'm talking about. Right? You have a God or a version of God that you've made up to justify that what you want to believe is true is therefore true. Or what you feel is true is therefore true. And the reality is, the reality is, is that for most people, 
That's the God they follow. The one that, that, that then justifies what they want to believe is true. But Peter and Paul are talking very specifically about, no, I want you to have a reason. I want you to have a defense. I want you to have an argument. Believing that this is the word of God and that it's going to do its work. And, and here's the other reason. The other reason you don't need a consensus, like the person I'm talking to, I mean, why would they? Just go logically for a minute. Why would they believe this is God's word if they don't, if they don't know God? If they don't believe in God? They don't, you know I mean, like this, this book tells them that there's only two genders. This book tells them that the sex outside of marriage is a sin. This book tells them that drunkenness is a sin. This book tells them that abortion is killing the innocent. Like, like, why would they care what this says when it goes against what they want to believe is true? So when you hear arguments, people make it, ah, I don't care what your Bible says, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes that offends Christians, and I'm like, why would it offend you? Why would they care? They're not going to care what God says when they're not following God. Why would they care? What matters is that you care. What matters is that you understand and have settled this. And again, if you're new, I mean, again, I, we give lots of grace. We have lots of um, resources. We've taught series on canonization and how it works and you know, how it was kind of compiled together, these 66 books and letters and documents. And we, we can give you those things. We can send you the resources you need to do. But you know, don't just hang around Christianity and hang around the church and never settle for yourself that this is the word of God, that this is the le living, breathing, active word of God. Because, and this is the reason you don't need consensus, because the word of God is going to do what it's going to do, even if they don't believe it's true. Because here's what, here's what the writer of Hebrews says. This is great. He says, look, the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, or between the joint and the marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires, right? Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Again, if, if it's the word of God, we're accountable, which is why we need it to teach us the things we don't know, which is why we need it to rebuke us when we're wrong often, right? It, we need it to correct us because that's what Paul said in Romans about the renewing of our minds. And we need it to prepare us and equip us and train us into how we share our faith and how we share this response to who he is. Now, in the 80s and 90s, probably even in the early 2000s, um, when, you, when you looked across the landscape of churches in the world, but primarily in the Western world, most people that were paying attention to what was going on if you were to ask them who leads the largest church right now, like who is leading the largest church movement in the Western world, most people that knew what was going on would have told you it was Oprah Winfrey. It was Oprah. And then, you know, she didn't have any steeples or any buildings or temples, but people that knew what was going on saw that she was trying to lead a spiritual movement. She was trying to influence a spiritual movement, and there were millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of Christians who attended and followed and were discipled by her. Everybody with me? And here's one of the things that she would say quite often. She would say that all roads lead to heaven, and that we're just on, we're just on different paths, you know? We're just on different paths. And part of that went to a value 
that we still see today, which is this inclusive value. We don't want to exclude anyone. We don't want to exclude anybody's beliefs or anybody's differing opinions on, a, on this or that, but, it, but we want to include them. We want it to be an inclusive thing. And so this many ways to God, right, that, that Oprah would talk about, was very in line with popular culture. Like, they, they, they wanted to be inclusive. They, they felt like it needed to be tolerant, right? That it didn't, it didn't matter what you had done or what you do or your behavior or how you thought, if it was a little bit different. I mean, we were going to be tolerant of one another. And they needed it to be equitable. We needed it to be fair, Right? It didn't need to depend on social class or power, power classes and things like that. And, and here's what's really interesting. A lot of people that saw this in spiritual movements would actually attribute these things to Jesus. Because Jesus was inclusive. I mean, he, he hung around all these people and the drunks and the sinners and the, and the tax collectors. And, and, and he seemed to be tolerant of their, of, their, of their life in terms of, you know, he didn't just like brush people off because they didn't behave the right way. And, 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 and it seemed to be that he was pretty fair. Like he, he elevated women and he, and he, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't about whether it was Romans or Pharisees or whatever. Like he kind of gave everybody the same shot. So they look at Jesus and they, they point to these attributes and they go, well, then that must be the case for God. Like there's many roads to get there and we're just all kind of on our journey. Together. You guys, some of you have heard this before, right? This is, this is big. The problem is that when you start to look at what Jesus actually said, you start to see and actually paint another picture, especially when you read just the Gospels. We're going to focus primarily on the Gospels even today. When you read what Jesus said, he made it very clear. He, he said, look, I, I told you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What's those two words? Say them out loud. Okay, you can do better now. I'm going to do it one more time. You ready? Jesus told him, look, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Say those two words. No one. Yeah. No one can come to the Father except through me. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You can't skip the line. There's no, there's no what's a Disney pass called? There's no quick pass, right? Like there's nothing. Like, like Jesus made it very clear. There is no other way. I'm the one way, it's the only way to God, to be made right with God, is through me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And when you start looking at all the things Jesus seemed to say in terms of living out this message, it, it really does have a feeling that it is exclusive. Because there wasn't a many roads leads to God. It was a one way leads to God. And Jesus was very clear about the fact that, that God could not tolerate sin. Right? His holiness couldn't tolerate sin. Like There was no room for sin in God's kingdom. But there was this sort of, not just tolerant, but an intolerant view of sin. And then when Jesus would give examples of heaven, and he would give examples of the kingdom of God, according to earthly standards, it was really pretty unfair. Okay? And I, I mean unfair, meaning like, we would th say things are fair when like good people get good things and bad people get bad things and we felt, kind of feel like justice has been had. And Jesus would constantly give parables and examples where maybe people that didn't deserve it were gonna show up in heaven, right? Like, like maybe didn't deserve it because they stole all the money and they, 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 they were tax collectors and they took things from the Jewish people. And then they thought like the, that he would make comments about the Jewish leaders who looked like they did everything right and that Jesus was like, they're gonna miss it. Like, that's not happening. And so it seemed really unfair, especially, again, from their perspective. 
And so when we start talking about our reason why, why do we make Lord Christ the Lord of our life? Why is this important? You're going to have to get really comfortable with this tension between the exclusive and the inclusive, with the tolerant and the intolerant, and the what's unfair and what is equitable or, or fair. You're going to have to get really comfortable with that, especially when you start declaring that one of the reasons that you choose to follow Jesus is because it's the only option. It's not one of many options. It's the only option. Here's a couple, we're going to look at a couple exchanges that Jesus had. First one is with a Jewish leader. And, and this Jewish leader wanted to know more. And so uh, it says there was a man named Nicodemus. He was a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee, all right? Uh, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. And he would say, Rabbi, you know, very respectful teacher. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Like, he was kind of ready for this. Like, I'm ready to learn. Uh, your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Like, Nicodemus is kind of seeing the whole picture, even though the rest of them are a little upset and they're all freaking out. Like, Nicodemus kind of had, okay, this is, it's clear that you're from God. So Jesus then replied to him and said, well, I'll tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. To which, again, that was a new concept for Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, well, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb, gross, you know, and be born again? But he was thinking physically. He was like, I don't, I don't get that. I mean, everything about the Jewish culture was what they had physically done and what to do and not do. And he's like, I don't understand what you mean by that. And Jesus replied that, well, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. And he's actually talking about flesh and, and spirit. Because he goes on to say that humans can produce human life. That's that born of water. He said, but the Holy Spirit is what gives birth to spiritual life. This is where that born again, you've heard that word before. This is where born again comes from. You know, the spirit gives you spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Look, the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going to go, you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. And I get this. Nicodemus is a very intellectual Pharisee, religious leader. He's studied. He knows a great deal. Jesus is talking to him about basically like, yeah, the wind blows and you can't know where it's going to come from. You know, that's, that's hard for them to understand, right? Like, you can't know. It's not fair, Nicodemus, that's not fair. But that's the way it is, right? The Holy Spirit gives spiritual life, and that's what's required. So I get Nicodemus. Nicodemus is like, okay, Jesus, we would all be there. We, Jesus, Nicodemus is basically saying, like, Jesus, please be clearer, right? Please be clearer. And in part of Jesus' explanation about what this means... We get one of the most famous verses in Christian history. I mean, again, even if you weren't raised in church, you might know this verse. In, in his explanation to Nicodemus, we get to John 3.16 where he says, this is how God loved the world. Right? If you grew up like me, King James, right? For God so loved the world. He gave his one and his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is, this is him helping make it real clear for Nicodemus. Man, God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son so that anyone who believes in him could, could believe and, and, and not perish, but have eternal life. 
But then he says this, look, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And he says, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's, say the words, one and only son. Only way. (laughs) He's like, look, guys. That's the way it works. Now, he, he goes on to say this. The judgment's been based on this fact. God's light came to the world, but people love the darkness more than light. Just to help, help bring it to our level and help us understand, Jesus was telling Nicodemus, look, God loved this world so much, he provided a way. One way. Only way. That's how much he loved the world. And, and those who do not choose him... Like, there's already a default choice in place. Okay, choosing your way, choosing your, putting hope in yourself, choosing your path, choosing one of the roads that you want to take, doesn't really, that's a default choice. That's all, you're already born with that. You're already born in the dark and love the dark. But the actual choice to be made is his one and only son, the only way to be made right with God. Just trying to help Nicodemus, like, get it. Okay, so again, going back to this, we have to understand that even though he's painting this picture for Nicodemus, like, look, anyone who believes in me, you know, is going to get this choice. Anyone who does that. So it's one of the reasons people struggle with this whole exclusive gospel versus the inclusive gospel. And so here's a great quote by Timothy Keller. He's a great pastor. He says, the gospel is, is an exclusive truth but it's the most inclusive, exclusive truth in the world, right? And I know that sounds like he's making up words and making up phrases, but the reality is this, is like it is an exclusive truth. There's only one way to God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to come to the Father except through me. But that invitation is offered to everyone. It is the most inclusive, exclusive truth we have because it is an exclusive truth, but it's the most inclusive. Now, there's a great time in which Jesus, uh, if you guys remember the story, remember when Jesus fed the 5,000, right? He took the bread and the fish and he, you know, prayed and bam, like it just, everybody's stuffed and there's leftovers and like thousands of people are following Jesus. And they cannot wait for breakfast, okay? They cannot wait for the next day. They cannot wait for him to, to make some more. I mean, let's do some, you know, cupcakes and Nutella this next time, you know? Like, let's, let's do something. And so Jesus is teaching and preaching to the crowd, this big crowd that's following him. And here's a great thing. He starts to teach them because, again, he's going to continue to say this over and over and over again. He's like, look, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Anyone who believes has eternal life. And it says, yes, I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate man in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread of heaven will never die. And you can just hear the crowd, yay, bring the bread on, come on. You know, I don't know what kind of bread it's going to be. I bet you it's going to be good. And then he says this. He says, yes, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven, and anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world can live is my flesh. (laughs) And let's see what happens next. 
you keep reading, everybody starts to leave. Okay? Why? Would you be any different? Is this not the making of a cult? You know what I'm saying? Hey, guys, you guys, we had some good bread yesterday. And Jesus is like, man, the bread of heaven, bread of heaven is going to be amazing. Guess what? It's me. And he goes on. No, I'm not kidding. He goes on to talk about how his, his flesh is true bread, is true food, and his blood is the true drink of life. And everybody just went, you know, we got to get back to check on some things, you know. Good luck, Jesus, you know. Good luck with that message. If you jump to verse 60, you see the disciples. <laughs> the disciples are, again, you got to know where the disciples, they, they had a different idea what Jesus was doing. The disciples start talking, and they're just like, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept this? Basically, the disciples were like, this is, this is a bad marketing plan, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know if Jesus is just bad at metaphors, you know? Does he not get it? Like, we need to go back to the fishes thing, because that worked out really well. That was drawing people in pretty well. And Jesus, again, is making it really clear, like, it's, it's me. There's one way. And he goes, he hears, you know, he's aware that the disciples are complaining. And he says to them, does this offend you? Like, does this, does this concept and idea offend you? That there's only one way, that it's just me and it's my flesh, that it's my blood. And he goes on to say, what are you going to do? Like, what, what are you going to think when you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? Like, he was kind of already projecting the fact that, look, I'm not going to be here the whole time to explain this. What are you going to do when, when I'm gone? What are you going to do when you see that? And, and then he goes on to say, look, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. He's been, again, not, not brand new information. He's been preaching this and preaching this. He says, look, your human effort accomplishes nothing. Human effort, Nothing. But the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. The very words in which, I, in which I speak these things are the life you need because it comes from only me. And I just, I thought about that phrase, that question like, does this offend you? Does this offend you? And I thought, you know, sometimes we as Christians, I mean, my wife and I, you know, her parents are here. Like we were raised in good Christian homes and were raised in church. And I think sometimes if you were, uh, you know, raised in church, like, I think sometimes Christians kind of forget just how, just how offensive the gospel can be, okay? Like, just, you need to logically get yourself there in some way, shape, and form. I love the fact that Jesus says it clearly. But when you have people that have been taught their whole life that their effort matters, that their power and success in life is going to matter. That their financial security and their financial portfolio is going to matter. That the job and career that they choose and have is going to matter to big purpose and big parts of their life. And Jesus is going to say through the gospel, your human effort accomplishes nothing. You cannot make yourself right with God. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how success you have. It doesn't matter how much power you think you got. It, none of it matters in light of eternity. And that, guys, I'm just telling you, we have to remind ourselves that when we share this faith with people, when we share this kind of, it's still good news. 
Trust me, when you realize that we bring nothing to the table and you're in the right place, God's spirit has put you in the right place, all you can do is go, thank you, Jesus, I bring nothing. You know, you're, you're so thankful. But if you still have something in you, the gospel's offensive. It's offensive. Because Jesus is basically saying that there is no other way, and every other way that you want it to be is wrong. And every other way you attempt is going to bring you nothing. My way is the only way where it will work. Again, that is offensive to people. Which is another reason why, even when it comes to sharing our faith, even when it comes to, to again, sharing, our, sharing the good news and sharing the reason why we believe, we have to remember that, that and here's the way Jesus said this, he says, you know, you can enter God's kingdom only through a narrow gate. <laughs> Again, how, how much clearer does Jesus have to be? The highway to hell, which is basically, another version says, the road that leads to destruction, it's broad, it's wide. All the many ways that you guys think leads to this, huge wide berth. Its gate is wide, and many are going to choose that way. And he says, but the gate to life, the gateway to life is narrow. And the road is difficult. And only a few are going to find it. The, the road to life is narrow. Why? Because it's only one way. There's only one way. And by the way, it's difficult. Why is it difficult? Because you have to surrender everything. You have to give up all your ways. You have to give up all your truth. You have to give up all your opinions. You have to give up all your, your beliefs that, that are going to take you nowhere. You have to surrender those to him in order for him to be Lord of your life. And he says, that's, that's going to be hard for people. And few are going to find it. Now, that's, he didn't say these things to discourage us. He didn't say those things to discourage you know, his followers from sharing the good news about who Jesus was and what he was going to do in their life. He, he wanted to just help them understand that you are going to be constantly sharing this and you're going to be living this out in the tension, in the tension that, yes, it is an exclusive truth. Jesus is the only way, according to that inspired, living, breathing, active word from God, he's the only way to be made right with God. And he's intolerant of sin. There's no, there's, no, there's no excuse for just my bad behavior and what might be, we you know, what we would call natural. Well, it's just natural to be angry. It's just natural to lust. It's just natural to do this. It's natural to lie when we're going to get in trouble. He's intolerant of it. Like, God's holiness is not going to have any part of it. And I'm telling you it's unfair. Like, we're going to talk more about grace next week, but I'm telling you, it's unfair. It's unfair. Why? Because there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than, you already, than he already does. And guess what? There's nothing you've done in your past to make him love you any less than he already does. Which again means that people are going to be there that we might not think is fair that they're going to be there. And there's going to be people, my mom didn't do anything wrong her whole life. My brother-in-law was, you know, was a great human. And I'm going to be like, great. But if they didn't choose Jesus, if they didn't choose him, nothing. Human effort accomplishes nothing. 
they got to choose him. So we're going to have to live in that tension. But it's not an either or. Okay, just hear this. It's not an either or. What they apply to Jesus or what they try to extrapolate from the way they see Jesus live is still true. Because it is an exclusive truth. And it is, it is intolerance of sin in terms of God's holiness. <clears throat> it is unfair in terms of how grace and mercy work. But it's also, it's also an inclusive invitation. Right? It's inclusive. Jesus said, come all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, take my yoke upon you. You know, my burden, the burden I give you is light. All who would confess, all who confess with their mouth and believe will be saved. The invitation is open to everyone. And the tolerance that, that we see in Scripture is really more of an understanding of patience. Okay? God cannot tolerate sin, period. But Peter tells us in 1 Peter that God is not slow in his judgment. He's not slow in his return like some people think he is. He's being patient for a season so that so many more people will find the narrow gate. So many more people will find the way to him. So many more people will give their life to Jesus. So there is a tolerance, a patience for a season. And guys, it is equitable. Okay, Galatians, Paul tells us in Galatians, look, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no man, there's no female, there's no slave, there's no free. It's not socioeconomical, it's not race, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight, right? Like, like it is open to everyone. There is no power, power or hierarchy that puts someone ahead of another person. You have to choose him. So what does that mean for us? In terms of us sharing the good news and, and, and responding with our why, why our why needs to be so tied to this resurrected Savior is the only option. He's the only way. This is the verse that fuels our vision as a church. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. That old life is gone. The new life has begun. We talk about our vision that we are the transformed people of God. It goes on to say, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. This absolute hope we talk about, the absolute hope we want to see our friends' lives changed by, is this gift from God. We didn't deserve it. Last, next week we'll talk about, by grace you're saved through faith. It is not of works. No one can boast. No one gets to, no one gets to be like, this is the greatest thing I ever did. It's all grace. And it's through Christ. And now God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. Now God has given us the task of sharing the good news and responding with our why, our reason why, our argument why, our defense of why we live as, Lord of our li as Christ as Lord of our life. And based off of what we believe from his inspired word, it's because he's the only option. Going back to that story, and I'll end this here, but going back to that, that story where Jesus was like, you know, it's my flesh, and you got to drink my blood, and everybody was like, oh, it's weird. <laughs> After he said, does it offend you? You know, he looks at his disciples, and he says, do you guys want to leave me? Do you guys want to go? Because there's the door. You know, like, you want to go? And Peter, 
You know, good old Peter just says, where else are we going to go? <laughs> right? What did, Peter, what did Peter already know? He said, you are the one with living words of life. You're the only way. You're the only option. Jesus, where else would we go? He was convinced. Jesus, you are exactly who you say you are. And so God, my prayer today for you is just that you would settle that. That you would settle that this is the living, breathing word of God. If this is something you still struggle with, you'll get the help. You'll talk with us. You'll, you'll let us walk you through as to how we trust that this is the inerrant word of God. So that you can begin to share the hope. The hope that matters. And that hope and that faith in the one and only Son that is Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for... God, the way your, your word just convicts and challenges us and, and moves us to this, this understanding that there is only one way. And God, I just, I'm prompted to just give an opportunity to everybody that's here, everybody that's watching online, God, that, that if anyone has never settled that part of it, they've, they've never settled that you are the only way, they've never settled and confessed that you are the living Son of God, the resurrected Savior that died for their sins and rose again to give them eternal life. I want to just give them that opportunity now. And so as we're praying as a church together, just if that's you, if you just have never, you just didn't, you haven't settled it yet, like let's do it now. If you want to, I'll, I'll lead you in a quick prayer, but even more than that, it's just a surrender of your heart to him. That for you, if you want to say, I want to choose the only way, just raise your hand and I'll, I'll lead you in a, in a prayer. That, you know, that Jesus is the only way and that he's the only way for me. And the rest of us as a church will pray with you and for you and help you walk this life and walk this surrendered life of faith. Let's pray this together out loud. Or not out loud, sorry. Just, just you pray this as I lead you through this for those that raise their hand. And, and the rest of the church is just going to pray with you. The simple prayer is that, God, you are the one and only Son of God and that you are the only way to be made right with him. And so you can just simply say, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that you had to pay the price for my sin, that you are the one and only way and Savior to be made right with God. And I want to accept that free gift of salvation, that grace and mercy, which is so undeserved. And live with you as Christ, Lord of my life. And once you've made that prayer and you really have in your heart surrendered that to him, we as now a church family pray with you and for you. And we as a church have to remind ourselves that, man, we, we got we to gotta be okay with the tension of an exclusive truth that is invite, an inclusive invitation to everyone we meet. Every single person that we stare into their eyes that are close to us but far from God maybe have horrible, conflicting opinions compared to what your word says. God, you've called us to love them. You've called us to share that good news. And you've called us to share with them the reason why and to be ready for those answers, to be prepared to share the hope that we have that you are the one and only way. Praying for your Holy Spirit to move in us and, and to continue to move as we leave this place, continue to transform us and renew our mind. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.